0: Hey and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're happy that you're with us today. We hope that you were blessed by today's message from one of our youth pastors, Skylar Filardo. Amen. All right, ready for me to introduce the speaker? Making his debut at the Father's House, preaching by himself for the first time on this stage in the Sunday church. He's preached a lot at youth group because he's one of our youth pastors. We have Skylar Filardo. Give him a hand as he comes. All right, and we got the Skyler Fan Club right in the front row, right there. Woo, that's awesome. So I was telling the first service, I remember when Skyler. Came to this church eight years ago. He came in wearing a backpack, sat in the front row. Who would have thought that eight years later he'd be one of our youth pastors and preaching on this stage? And so that's that's amazing. That is awesome. And so bless you, Skylar. Just enjoy the Holy Spirit's presence and I'm gonna let you go for it right now. All right. Good morning, church. Good
1: morning. Oh, morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, as Pastor Pierce said, I am Skyler. I am one of our youth pastors alongside Pastor Mitch and Pastor Cole. And as well, I work here full-time as our facility maintenance or manager. So I work alongside a strong team of volunteers who help make sure this building is maintained, is clean, and is ready for you all to use in your various activities that we do throughout the week. So we have been going through the book of Acts for the past few months, and today's message is coming from Acts 16, and specifically I want to talk about something that God has been placing on my heart for the past probably about month, month and a half, and I've really been able to process through it through writing this message. You know, church, our lives are governed by the relationships we hold for many of us in the room. The primary relationships we have would be our relationship with God, our relationship with our families and our friends. But there's one relationship that I don't think we give enough attention to, and that is our relationship as a church family. Do you know that when we gather here on a Sunday, when we gather in our care groups, when we gather together, we are actually coming together as a family of believers. We are here to support one another, to care for one another, and just lift each other up. You know, when we invite people to church, we aren't just inviting them into a Sunday message or worship, but we're actually inviting them into a family and into a home, and not just any family but the eternal family of God. When we open ourselves up to seeing each person in this room as a member of our family, as someone we care about and want to see lifted up, growing in discipleship, we begin to realize that our actions now affect the people around us in more ways than we realize. You know, when I was in my first year of University, I took a psychology course, and this, in this course, we were talking about the biggest epidemic facing many age categories in our society today, and that epidemic is that of loneliness. How many of you know, Church, that there are many people out in our society today who are feeling exceptionally lonely? Despite the many opportunities we have to come closer together through social media, rapid transportation, and the many opportunities we have to come into contact with one another, we've actually never been lonelier. Scientists say we will influence, not just come into contact with, but actually influence on average around 80,000 unique people in our lifetimes. So we're coming into contact, we're engaging with people, and yet we still feel lonely. Yet, after talking about this, we had a time to share ideas of what helped us as students to cope with loneliness. And Some people talked about having their friends, their families, sports, and many other activities that were available to them, but I remember this because it stood out to me as a new believer. My professor said, those who were reported to be feeling the least effects of the loneliness epidemic were those involved in faith communities those people who have a space that comes together to care for one another, to lift one another up. And I think it might seem obvious to us because we live it, but consider how many people come on a weekly basis, sometimes for some of you with care groups during the year, more than just once a week, and are surrounded by people who love and care for you, who want to see you lifted up and growing as a disciple. And I think that's an important thing, church. We have amazing care groups in our church. How many of you have been a part of a care group in our church before? Just a show of hands. Yeah, many of you. Yeah, it is incredible. And every Tuesday night here at the church, up until I believe last week, we've had two care groups coming together and participating in fellowship here in the church. One of them is our young adults group which I have the privilege of participating in. And the other, and the one I wanna focus on, is our 50 plus ministry led by Dale and Monica Warner. Did you know church every week, since September, they have gathered in our far corner of our church. And every time I come into this auditorium on a Tuesday night, whether it's just to grab something for young adults or I'm walking by, all I hear is laughter, fellowship, worship, the Word of God being preached and shared with one another. Isn't that incredible, that on a Tuesday night we can have the 50 plus ministry and the young adult ministry both meeting and growing in discipleship. And there have been times where we've come together, the 50 plus have given us some of their food, which was very nice for the young adults, but they've also invited us into worship with them and we've invited them into worship with us. Isn't it great that we live in a generational church? where it's not just young adults, it's not just 50 plus, but it's everyone in between, including our small kids who are right now being filled by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Pastor Stacy. Isn't that incredible? This is why this message is all about relationships, because I think it's incredibly important that we realize, as we will in Acts 16 today, one of our greatest tools for transformation and sharing the gospel is the ability we have to form deep and meaningful connections with people in our families, this church, and out in our community. Through those connections, we are able to bring God's kingdom and the opportunity for Jesus to work in the hearts of those who surround us. When we have strong relationship with people, we are giving them the chance to come to know who Jesus is because we are examples to them in their life. And I know this is true because this has been my life. I am a testimony to this church's ability to influence people. As Pastor Peter said, I've been attending now for eight years, and prior to attending, I didn't have any relationship with the Lord, basically. I had attended a church for a very short period of time, but because of the many people within this building, who have influenced me, who have called me forward and helped me in my discipleship walk, now I am able to influence other people. I am able to influence youth on a Friday night, young adults on a Tuesday. Many of you who I come into contact with on a Sunday, I am able to influence as you influence me because I've been lifted up and cared for. And that's why I think relationships are so important. So as we go into Acts 16 today, I want to offer some context because I think it's important that we recognize where the story is situated. So Acts 16 is the start of Paul's second missions trip, having a disagreement with his mission partner Barnabas over whether to bring John Mark with them, the chapter before choosing rather to go on uh, his missions trip with Silas, another missionary. Remember what Pastor Greg preached about last week, the importance of unity? Well, we see that here, and I think I love that my sermons coming after his because I think relationship is the basis of unity. When everything else fails, it is our relationships that will carry us through the conflicts that come inevitably between people. When we have hurts and hardships, we can fall back on the relationships we hold with one another to get us through those things. It is much of the time that relationships we have give us room to work through those things. And we see in our chapter at the start of the second missions trip, we see Paul recruiting Timothy, the same Timothy he would later on write letters to in the books of First and Second Timothy. We see Paul and his companions trying to discern where to go to share the gospel. Verses 6 to 10 say, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phygeria and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to Him. What a powerful example, church of God's will before our will. We see here Paul and co, they wanted to do good, they wanted to share the gospel, and God wasn't saying that that wasn't good, but rather He was saying, I have a purpose for you, I have a place for you, and you need to be willing to open yourself up to hear what it is that I want to speak to you, because I think when it comes to the relationships with both those within our immediate family, church family, and out in our community, we need to be able to recognize that the most important thing is that we are consistently seeking God first and foremost in our life. Because when we consistently seek God, we are able to recognize that every other relationship, the ones we hold with our friends, our families, and the people around us, even those out in our community are shaped by the one we hold with Jesus, are shaped by the discipleship journey we continue to grow in by getting to know Jesus better. So continuing from there, we see Paul and his companions travel towards Macedonia. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, if you recognize the name Philippi, it's probably because you've read the book of Philippians. This is the place that that church would be founded in, and Paul would later write letters to. We continued to read, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house." You know, the scripture demonstrates many of the most important parts of relationship building in the kingdom, but I also think it shows us what all of us really want in our heart, which is those around us, those closest to us, to come to know God those who don't have a relationship with Him yet, but rather we are able to influence them and come into their lives and shape the direction of their life by pointing them towards Jesus. Now, the person at the center of the story is Lydia of Thyatria, and Lydia is considered to be the first convert in Europe. She's the first person who received the gospel message on Paul's missions trip into Europe. As well, she is considered to be one of the founding members of the Christian movement in Philippi. She was almost certainly wealthy as she was a dealer in purple cloth, which was exclusively held by social elites of the day. So if you had purple clothing, the dye that would make up purple clothing, you were probably quite wealthy, and as she was selling it, she had connections to the social elite. It can also be assumed though scholars are a little more debated on this one, but she was single at the time. As much of the Bible denotes a household by the man, yet when Paul goes to her house, it states her household. So what can we learn from this Scripture? Now when I was reading it, there were two things that stood out to me. The first was that it wasn't just Lydia who was saved, it was actually her entire household who came to know who Jesus was. It says her entire household was baptized, which means that's a public declaration of their faith, but there was also an internal transformation of her household. Because one woman opened her heart to the teachings of Jesus, an entire group of people was saved. This message spoke to me deeply because I don't think the members of Lydia's household would have responded the way they had if it hadn't come from Lydia if Lydia hadn't welcomed Paul into that space within her life because she held influence over her household. In the same way, many of you hold influence with the people in your life. I love the way Dr. David Jeremiah says it, the reference to her household doesn't mean that they were automatically saved because Lydia was saved. It means that the impact of her conversion was so strong that those over whom Lydia exercised influence were likewise convinced of the truth of the gospel and believed and were baptized. It probably included her immediate family, but also her extended family as well, even household servants. So church, I want us to do an exercise, because I think all of us in this room have people, I know all of us in this room have people who we hold influence over, whether that be your kids, your friends, your co-workers, it does not matter. We all have people who we can influence in our lives, and what I want to do is invite God into this opportunity to place those people on our heart. So I'm going to pray And I want everyone to close their eyes, and as I'm praying, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you who are the people in your life who you feel that God is calling you to influence. So, Lord, we come to you today, and we give thanks. We give thanks that you are a relational God. You desire to have a relationship with us. But Lord, you also desire to have relationship with the people who surround us, who maybe don't know you yet, or who need to know you more. And God, I pray that as we go into this time, Lord, you would put on our hearts the people that we need to speak into, the people who you have given us influence over, a position, a relationship of authority, or just importance in their life, so that we might be able to speak into their life and point them towards you, Jesus, to be a glimpse of the kingdom in their life. So we give thanks, Lord, for this. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, church, that person that God put in your heart, and if you didn't, that's okay. There are people in your life who need to hear the gospel, and the Lord will reveal those people. But that person that you're feeling that God put there Am I cultivating good relationships with them? So that when the opportunity arises, when as we see in the case of Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, that your relationship with them would be enough to steer them towards the kingdom. We don't change hearts, church. That is the Lord's job. But what we can do is help shape them and bring them closer. We can give them glimpses of the kingdom. When they look at us, they can see, despite maybe we're facing the same economic struggles, we're facing the same challenges, but we are facing them with a joy that doesn't make sense to someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't live in the kingdom. And they start to ask questions and they start to open up. You know, that's how I came to know who Jesus was. It was. My girlfriend at the time invited me out to church, and everyone around me was just so incredibly moved by the Spirit, and I asked myself, what do they have that I don't have? And I think it's an important thing that we are representatives of the kingdom. For some people, we are the only gospel they will ever read ever see. And we need to hold that responsibility firmly in us and recognize that we need to be willing to go out and speak into our community and into the people in our lives who need to hear that message. You know, it's perhaps one of my biggest mistakes when I first came to know Jesus was I tried to share the gospel with my mom, dad, and sister. And this was little 17-year-old Skylar living in his parents' basement. And uh, he decided that the best way to share the gospel was to pretty much just go up to my parents and just start preaching. Just start being like, you need to repent. You guys got to figure it out. Like, I've received this, so now you got to receive it. It didn't go over well, church. (laughs) My parents, being very mature and loving of me, pulled me aside and said, you know, we respect that you believe what you believe now and that you're going on this journey, but we aren't going to believe the same things that you are. And that broke me a little bit, church, because I was like, man, I really want them to receive what I have received, but I also recognized I made a mistake there because instead of considering or caring about how they would receive the message, all I wanted to do was share it. I didn't give them the opportunity to watch my life develop, to see me develop as a disciple and to catch glimpses of the kingdom. So when God was ready to speak to my parents, I had given them opportunities to see what He was all about. You know, it says in John six forty four, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last days. Rather, what we can do, churches is form connections with people and pray for them. We can bring a bit of what happens here on a Sunday, that feeling of love, care and joy that we get from being in fellowship with one another, to the people who we go out and interact with on a daily basis, whether that be our friends, our coworkers or our family members. The salvation of our families and friends does not rest on our shoulders. It does mean, though, we have a duty to share the gospel with them both in word and action. We are all representatives of the kingdom. As it says in Matthew 5, you are a light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. You know, church, I am a light to my family. They don't know the Lord. They don't have a relationship with him. But by me consistently going over there, and I do, every Sunday night, I go over to my parents' place, and we have dinner together, and we talk about the week, and we engage with one another, and I love it because I love my parents. But I am a light to them in those times because I get to show them what the kingdom is all about. I can speak life into them, even if I'm not directly quoting the gospel So what does it look like to be a representative? The answer to that question is the response that Lydia has to her salvation and subsequent baptism. She tells Paul, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. Not only did she receive salvation that day, but she began to grow in her discipleship, seeking to do good for the kingdom with what God had given her. She was wealthy, she had resources, and now that she had received the greatest gift that could be given to her, she wanted to give to those around her. She wanted to be of service to the kingdom. How many of you know if we all used what God was giving to us to the full extent of what he is calling us to, this church would be overflowing with people. And I know that we are. I know we are doing our best to seek out and bring people in, but I truly believe, church, like Lydia here, we are called to use what God has given to us, both our talents, our abilities, and our financial resources, to help steward the kingdom forward and bring people into this house so they might feel the love and care that we all get to feel on a weekly basis. And I think it's super cool we see after Paul and Silas have been through a hard time, after being unjustly imprisoned, they returned to Lydia. And it says, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Lydia wasn't just welcoming Paul and Silas back into her house, but this was actually the gathering place for the infant church of Philippi. This is the church that would eventually be addressed by Paul in the letters. And church, when I was studying the Scripture, I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole into what happened to the church of Philippi after the gospel, after we no longer hear about it. And what you guys will hear is the church in Philippi actually lasted till about the sixth century AD. They had hundreds upon thousands of people coming through Philippi to attend this church, to see it, and taking pilgrimage to Philippi that city actually became a rival to Constantinople, the uh, capital of the Roman Empire at the time in terms of relevance to Christianity. So one person gave her heart to the Lord and used what God had given her faithfully, and through the relationships that were developed there, that church grew across six centuries and eventually became one of the largest churches in the Roman Empire. Isn't that a crazy church? Imagine what we could do if each one of us responded in the same way, Lydia. Imagine how much we could accomplish if we were responding in that way. You know, this church has been my home for about eight years, like Pastor Peter was saying. From when I first walked in the doors of La Maison, our old church office to attend youth group, to now where I am up here preaching to you all. You have all been like my second family. You have been the people I come to when I have questions, the people I rely on when I'm going through a difficult time, and much like my nuclear family, you are the ones that I enjoy spending time with. You know, I've been blessed by so many people in this church as they have affected my personal journey, my discipleship journey, maturing as a man and as a believer, and I wanna mention a few people here today and some have moved on from here, but many are still with us in this building today. One of those is my fellow youth pastor, Mitchell Fraser. Mitch and his eventual wife, Michaela, wasn't married at the time. We were still in high school. Um, They invited me. They were the first ones to invite me to youth group. They brought me out, and they said, we'd love for you to come. And do you know what? It wasn't just that they invited me to youth group. It was that they invited me to do life with them. I was living in relationship with Mitch and Michaela. We were doing activities together. We were going out places. We were having fun. And I was growing in friendship with them. And I I told Mitchell last service, and I'll say it again, but Mitch was the reason I felt confident enough to come to church. It was because I knew there was someone at the church who loved and cared about me enough that they were investing into my life, they were using the influence that God had given in my life to speak positivity and speak love into it, and through that, I desired to grow in my relationship with God. Another person was Evan Soper. I remember when I was in youth group, I had a hard time, this was about my first year, of attending youth group. I was having a hard time navigating my relationship with the Lord in my house. I was having a hard time figuring out how to work through that. And I remember Evan, he was my youth leader, and he wrapped his arm around me, he brought me outside the church office, and we spent the next hour just walking around the church and he listened to me as I poured my heart out to him. And just that conversation was enough to leave me with a sense of peace and just feeling so loved and cared for. There are people like Mrs. Agri, Lorraine and Doug Demers who have encouraged me and continue to give me wise advice. The numerous people who have come alongside me in facility maintenance. Church, this building doesn't run itself and when I first started here, I was very much shocked with how much there was to do. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. And it was because of the many people, the people like Rick Lamontang, Rudy Boise, Daryl Rolfram, Robert Provost. I know you're here today. You know, there's people like that who have come alongside me, helped me, lifted me up, and cared for me. You know, a good example of a church family coming alongside one another to support, and one that I forgot about in the first service, but this Friday, we were going out to an amazing. Uh, we were going to Millennium Place with the youth group. We were going to go swimming and have an awesome time. And what ended up happening was, is our bus broke down. We were, we pulled it around front and it started fine. And then we went out to load up the kids and the bus was dead would not start. And immediately, Robert Provost, and another father from our youth ministry, was out there under the bus working on it and getting it to be fixed. And they were able to get it fixed. And even though we didn't trust the bus to take us to Millennium Place, so we got a new one. But just that surrounding of people coming around, like how amazing is that? That that night we had 35 kids ready to go Millennium Place, and two people from our church came alongside and just desired to lift up our youth ministry and support us as we were going through a tough time. That is what church is all about. People coming together, pointed in the same direction of following Jesus, but we're doing so together. We're growing in discipleship and relationship together. So as we wrap up, I want to offer us all some helpful takeaways for us to be able to do just that, to help us to break down barriers both within our church family and with those who surround us outside of it, to make those deep connections through which we can help lead people to know who Jesus is and to grow in their discipleship journey. So number one, pray for those around you. We've already practiced this first one, so you guys are on a roll. But do not underestimate the power of prayer in helping you form relationship with other people. And don't just pray that they come to know God, but pray that they would continue to grow in discipleship. Salvation is not the end, but rather the beginning of their journey. And we wanna call people forward in that. Pray that God would give you strength and patience and wisdom as you navigate the many challenges that can sometimes come in needing to maintain a fruitful relationship with one another. Pray for those who you feel the Lord is calling you to speak into, and pray that he would open their hearts so that they are ready to receive the message that we all want to share with them. Secondly, be sincere in your intent. If I've learned one thing from being in youth ministry for the past seven years is that teenagers like when you're sincere and if you aren't sincere with them if you don't have a genuine desire to get to know them and care for them then they are going to shut you out because they can sense that and they know that and i remember one time when i was in youth ministry there was a young man who came in and he wanted to talk about his dirt bike he loved his dirt bike it was like the thing that was the biggest uh thing going on in his life at that time and I know nothing about dirt bikes, I have no interest in dirt bikes, but I sat and listen to him talk about every component, every piece of that engine for about an hour and a half. And we just sat there and chatted about it. And you know what? Through that conversation, I now have more permission to speak into his life than any sermon that I've ever preached. Because I gave him my attention, I cared about him, and while I wasn't interested in the dirt bike, I was interested in him, and I wanted to grow in relationship with him. And even to this day, whenever I see him, as he's gotten older, his toys have gotten a bit more expensive. He talks to me about his cars and his snowmobiles and his quads and all the different things that he works with. But to this day, I'm still able to speak into his life as he's transitioning now into becoming a young adult in the next few years. Sometimes an action as simple as going to do something with them can be enough. Just going out for coffee going out and showing that you care and you want to spend time with that person. So whatever you do, do it with sincerity. Our goal is never to convert people, but to build a relationship with people so they might know the relationship that truly matters, the one we hold with Jesus. Thirdly, give one another grace. We're not always gonna get along. Sometimes we're gonna butt heads and we're gonna come into conflict with each other, but I think Galatians 6.10 says it best. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, we can speak truth into the lives of those around us. In fact, it's our responsibility to do so, but truth should always be tempered with love. Grace should always come, and then truth. And we should always be looking to share with people and lift them up, but doing so through relationship and through sincerity and through prayer. And finally, and this one's important, attending church is not just about you. It's not just for the benefit of you. Attending church is actually for the benefit of other people. We can read and pray our Bibles on our own, but when we attend church, we are coming together as a group of believers to fellowship, worship, and engage with the Word as with one another. And if the people who I mentioned earlier, the Dugs and Lorraine, the Mrs. Agri, the Mitchells, if they weren't here consistently, I wouldn't have been able to have been influenced by them. You don't know the influence you have on the people around you, and you won't if you're not here consistently. So I encourage you, church, attend church, attend care groups, be present, because sometimes just your presence is enough to change the life of an individual. And I know that's been true in my life. So my invitation to you church is to stop and consider this week who are the people in your life who you've been influenced by who are the people who you are influencing and ask yourself am i living in relationship with those people in such a way that i am reflecting the kingdom of god to them am i praying for them am i in this relationship for the right reasons do i offer them grace in their errors and speak truth out of love And am I showing up consistently for them in the times that matters? If we do that, I truly believe that all of our circles of influence will be greatly impacted because our families and friends will see that we don't just care about them coming to know Jesus, though we do, we care very much just about them. And we want them to feel that love, care, and compassion that we get to feel on a Sunday morning. So church, as we go into a worship song here, I just want to give thanks. Thank you to all of you for being an influence in my life and the influence of the people around you. We are a generational church, and it is a blessing that we are able to come together, small children, teens, young adults, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, it does not matter, we are here to celebrate and care for one another and I encourage you to look out into your spheres of influence this week and ask yourself where does God need to come into the midst of these things? Where can I invite God in through the relationships I have with people?
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.